the antidote. 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 You're listening to the antidote with Dave Hawkins. With Christian music that doesn't suck.
Dave Hawkins, and you've got the antidote. That was I Don't Belong to You from the new Remedy Drive album, The North Star. I need to be honest and admit that I wasn't a fan of Remedy Drive. But that really wasn't the band's fault, that was mine. My only exposure to Remedy Drive was in 2008 with their Daylight Is Coming release. You know, it was a solid album, but it just didn't seem to be as artistic as the music I usually go for. My problem was is that I gave up on their music at that point. But that one album was really nothing like what Remedy Drive has carried on to create. The band's last two albums, Commodity and The North Star, are both creative and they're inspiring. And The North Star release is the best I've heard so far this year. I also enjoy any artist who is willing to be upfront about what they really think. And Remedy Drive's frontman, David Zock is brutally honest during this talk with The Antidote. David speaks with me about the music of Remedy Drive, about his family, his faith, and his work with the Exodus Road, an abolitionist group that works to crush human slavery around the world. With all that, David and I end up having a very long talk. So I've split this feature on Remedy Drive into two parts. Before we get into tonight's part of the talk... We've got the song Resuscitate Me about knowing where our strength comes from.
David Zock, the man in front at Remedy Drive, has come for a talk with The Antidote. David, so good to have you here. Yeah, it's going to be on the program. I first heard Remedy Drive in 08 with the song Daylight is Coming, but the band was around long before that. Yeah, we had started when I was in high school, uh, went under different names, Aslan Band, uh, Remedy, and it was in 08 that we um, put out our first major record label release. It was a family band in those days. Your brothers were in the band. Yeah, we started different trios of brothers between the four of us. Then we spent a lot of time on the road as the four of us brothers, and that ended in 2010. Four brothers. Did that make your household life just chaotic? Yeah, I mean, we were all uh, getting married and having kids, and the kids were growing up in the bus with their uncles and aunts, and it was a real special time in our lives um, in a difficult time. We were playing like 200 concerts a year just to make the ends meet. And I, I have a lot of fond memories of that time. When your brothers left the band, did it make a change to Remedy Drive? Yeah, because, you know, for a long time, you know, it was, it was a, a team effort. And while I wrote most of the songs uh, or all the songs for most of those years, we didn't really have a way of deciding things. And then suddenly I've inherited this, uh, the full responsibility of moving forward with the blessing of my brothers and having to figure all that out was, it was precarious for me. Yeah. Well, that brings up something because I've heard a number of times that David Zock is Remedy Drive, meaning the band isn't a collaborative effort. Well, there's probably a time in my past where I would have been proud of that idea. <laughs> uh, it caused a lot of strain between the brothers. Like, you know, is this david songs and we're just playing or and um me and my brother phil especially did not get along uh because there's a lot of competition we're a year and a half apart and the most amazing thing that's ever happened to me in my life is after those years in 2010 my brother uh phil produced his own solo project called arrows and sound and my son jack was like hey dad can we listen to uncle phil's music and something in my heart changed in those two years after the brother stopped touring with me and since then, my brother Phillips produced all our records. Um, I didn't notice as much when we were on the road together in the thick of it, but his contribution and our ability to create together has always been at the center of what, what we've been doing. All the way going back into high school and those years in college where we lived in a house together, Philip and I have collaborated in different ways. And what are the other brothers up to now? Um, Paul leads worship at a church in Charlottesville. He's adopted three kids, and my brother Dan uh, sells cars in Lincoln, Nebraska. Here's for the years the worms have eaten. Grass for the youth that's almost gone. I was awake when you were sleeping When you were weak, I still am strong Don't despair, child You think I can hold you up When you fall If I can hold up the stars I can answer your call Have eaten. Grass for the youth that's almost gone I was awake when you were sleeping 
For the years, a long ago song from Remedy Drive when the brothers were all in the band. A lot of artists dream about signing a deal with a record label. And if you're in that spot, you may want to reconsider once you hear the next part of my talk with David. Over the years, Remedy Drive has been signed to a couple of labels, Centricity and Word. Does now being an independent band open things up for you artistically that you weren't able to do on a label? You can't overstate that enough. The um, compression and the sanitizing and the shrink wrapping of my creative soul is something that I'm still recovering from. Uh, there's just such a narrow amount of bandwidth, and you can't go outside the lines at those companies. I guess it's not everybody at every company like that, but it's just a, such a narrow view of the world and a narrow view of what art should be. And uh, honestly, I had a guy tell me, hey, it's not so much about making art. You just have to figure out the craft of making something that's going to work. And I just couldn't live that way. I'm an artist. I didn't set out to make jingles to sell a worldview. Um, not to say that they're not successful in doing that, and they are successful in doing that. But the a and had a marketing director say to me, he said, listen, I'm a whore. I just need something I can sell. And I just don't buy into that worldview. <laughs> I can't do it. I cannot be a commodity and I will not be shrink wrapped. I will not have the intimate depths of my heart shrink wrapped and, and reduced to the lowest common denominator. So what you said times a million. <laughs> well, I think then you're going to relate to what I'm about to bring up because I'm a really critical guy and the music that came from remedy drive prior to commodity was very commercial. And that's the kind of music that doesn't keep my attention. I've brought yeah. up the same point with other artists. Should the music created by Christians be safe or should it be challenging? 
Well, it should be the most challenging. Um, and this idea of safe for the whole family, um, concentrating only on what is positive, concentrating only on what is encouraging, and then taking things. And if there is an element of darkness and brokenness in the verse, just painting it with this overwhelmingly um, lopsided, optimistic, bright, glossing over. Um, yes, we who claim to have tapped into the most creative source in the universe, creativity itself, the creator, we should, of all people, be the most creative and the most artistic. And what we have to say should be challenging in the way that the words of Jesus Christ were challenging and the prophets were challenging. And that kind of stuff is, is not allowed in the positive, encouraging, safe for the whole family realm. But there's certainly a large number of people that want that sanitized world. That's, that's a great question. Do they want it or are they being force-fed it? Good point. I, I would be in conversations in A&R meetings and they have commoditized their target market. They call her Becky. And on a regular basis, they're talking about Becky and, you know, she's driving in a minivan in Michigan and she has two kids and she has a minute or three minutes where she's dropping them off at school and she just needs, she just needs to be encouraged. She just needs to be told everything's going to be okay. And I, I think they've commoditized me, but they also commoditize her and they, they reduce her and they, they don't give her the credit that she deserves because I, I meet people in that same demographic all over the country and all over the world. And they want to be challenged. They want someone to lead them towards dangerous unselfishness. In the words of Martin Luther King Jr., they're, they're looking for that. And they're, if they don't find it on those Christian airwaves, they're going to find it somewhere. Well, I don't think the music industry's Becky is going to be listening to the antidote, so we don't have to worry about that. <laughs> <laughs>
Daylight from Remedy Drive's Daylight is Coming album. No question that the song is catchy, and it was hugely popular, but, you know, it was a safe song. The album Commodity wasn't safe or easy, and that discussion and the title song comes up right now. I want to go back to the album Commodity. The title track is superb. It has the line, Don't let them use me. Put a pen in my hands and not an Uzi. I'm dreaming of the sweet sound of liberty, a railroad underground to deliver me. Is freedom different here in North America compared to other countries you've traveled to? I, I think about it a lot because, you know, here in America, for some reason, people always have to talk about their countries being the best in the world. And I've been to Norway, I've been to Amsterdam, the Netherlands, I've been to Finland and Germany. I spent a lot of time in Germany. And then I go overseas uh, with the Exodus Road, so I spend, spend a lot of time in Southeast Asia and Latin America. And there's different uh, strengths that different cultures have. And there's something really beautiful about a lot of those countries um, that I'm like, oh, I wish that was, I wish we had something like that here in, in America. Uh, the lyric you referenced is coming specifically from Uganda and some of the work that I was really excited about, people that have been using art and art therapy to help boys that were kidnapped and forced to be boy soldiers. But, I mean, that, that line that you mentioned is so layered. I am dreaming of the sweet sound of liberty, railroad underground, both metaphorically from my own heart, my own bondage, my own self, um, my own issues that I'm enslaved to, uh, but also for boy soldiers and sex trafficking. And then also in general, we are held under these spells that I wish we could break out of. Hey, this is David Sock with Remedy Drive, and you've got The Antidote with Dave Hawkins.
you've obviously taken on the role as an activist, and that certainly comes through in the music of Remedy Drive. But I've also seen many Christians uncomfortable with the concept of Christians actually taking on that activist role. Yeah, they're uncomfortable with it. They're uncomfortable with it because it's been so downplayed. And I'm not sure why, specifically with evangelicals, there's a backlash against, um, you know, high church, Anglican and Catholic, and the, the emphasis on good works and the importance of being on the front lines of social causes and social movements. From my perspective, there's a lot of people sitting back and throwing stones and criticizing Hollywood for the way Hollywood handled the Me Too movement, criticizing people in the way they get involved uh, with using their political capital, their moral capital. But from my perspective, once again, the same way I mentioned that with art, we of all people should be on the front lines of the modern day abolition, on the front lines of those that are digging wells and fighting against inequality and racial inequality, on the front lines of helping uh, with the AIDS crisis and other emergencies like that, and on the front lines of figuring out real solutions for refugees both here in our countries and and in the countries where they're coming from. And I don't know why there's a backlash against that. Um, It's something that I'm frustrated by, and the best way I can fight it is through my melodies. Do you think it could ever be that simply people are wanting to do that separation of church and state, and they think that activism is too politicized? There's that. Um, But if you really talk to those people they're willing to put that aside for a couple pet issues <laughs> almost 100% of the time. Uh, they're willing to join in those arenas if it's something that they think is most important. And generally, in evangelical circles, that has to do with marriage quality and um, abortion. So I don't think that's the issue. I think the issue is these things, people want to say, specifically with slavery, People will respond and say, well, when Jesus came and said, and here's his words, quoting an ancient prophet named Isaiah, he said, the spirit of the Almighty is upon me, and I have good news for poor people, to proclaim freedom to the captives, liberty to the prisoners, and a restoration of dignity to the oppressed and the downtrodden. So when he said that, I hear promise of an abolition movement from the king of the universe, because he knew that followers would hear those words that he said. And know that it was important to him. Because uh, he referenced these concepts, social justice, social causes, taking the cause of the oppressed and the poor and the fatherless and the stranger and the exiled. These things are mentioned 2,100 times in our scripture. So I think it is not like this passive um, kind of missing the point. I think there's a real deep issue with the leadership of the evangelical movement in the way they interface scripture with social causes it's a it's not just a passive missing the ball it's almost cutting these scriptures out these 2100 references out and reducing them to a suggestion or a metaphor and that's frustrating i know i'm taking the title of the song stand up out of context but i couldn't resist all of us need to stand up and be heard about social issues
sort of brings to mind for me some of the negative comments that Bono has taken over the years. He and the <laughs> music of U2 have obviously have put people on edge. Yeah. Have you found the same thing happening with Remedy Drive? Yeah, and I get, I, I mean, even their, one of the most cool things he's done is when he put his hand up and held a, a symbolic torch and behind him is, uh, you know, the Statue of Liberty and she's holding that torch. <laughs> Did you see that? That award show recently when they're yeah. out on the and then just the, the hatred they get for it. Um, and I don't know why. I knew what we were doing. It's not like I didn't know that this is going to bum people out. Um, and I, I'm another artist I really look up to is John Foreman from Switchfoot. And he's also been really vocal about important things. And he's done some panels on racial inequality in our country. And even having um, the rapper Propaganda on our album, I knew would put a target on us because of uh, how outspoken he is about different things. But I'm, I'm not in this to be popular. I, I have to be honest. And I know that when you, when you mess with somebody's idol, it's going to bum them out. And I think, unfortunately, that an idol for a lot of people in this part of the world is uh, evangelical religious nationalism. And I, I'm pointing that out. And that's not a popular thing to point out. That's so true. I want to go on to the commodity album that you designed as a concept to look at human trafficking. And this wasn't some abstract idea. 
you're involved personally with the anti-human trafficking group, the Exodus Road. Can you tell us about that? Well, I started writing Commodity. The lyric you said earlier was written specifically about boy soldiers in Uganda. I have a close friend, Jeremy Cowart. He's a celebrity photographer. And seeing the way he used his camera really inspired me five, six years ago. And it was around that time that I left the Christian music industry. Um, I was in it believing that, that I could make changes and say things that weren't being said. And I found out that I couldn't in that context because of what we just talked about. So that was a weird time for me. I'm writing these songs that I know I need to write, and it's commodity. The song, it's under the starlight. I'm singing about slavery. I'm, I, I'm researching Harriet Tubman and uh, Frederick Douglass. Their correspondence is just brilliant, if you've never read their letters back and forth. Um, I'm coming across quotes from a guy like Frederick Douglass. He says, the soul that is within me, no man can degrade. And William Wilberforce's quote, an abolitionist from that time period, he says, you can never again say that, that you don't know about this. And the way that moved me, this idea that we can look away, we have that option, but we can never again say we didn't see this, we don't know what's going on. I'm writing these songs, and in this amazing moment of convergence, I meet Matt Parker from the Exodus Road. He reaches out to us. He heard one of our more commercial songs, as you said, on the radio in Colorado Springs. And he's just hoping that there would be bands in Nashville that would uh, tell his story, tell about the Exodus Road. And four of the managers and the bands that he uh, had set up appointments with canceled on that day. So here it is, like 8 p.m. I'm the only artist that came through and met with him. And I could not believe what he was saying and his stories. He's talking about the raids that they do, the investigations. He has three kids, just about the same age as my kids. And something moved in me. I said, Matt, I don't want to just talk about what you're doing. I want to join you. Nobody's going to listen to me if I'm just another artist talking about things. Mm -hmm. I, I have to have some skin in the game. And that was where it all started for us. I can't understand why so many reviews of the song Under the Starlight missed the point of the song. One reviewer described it as sunshine pop. The song is actually based around an artistic dichotomy. The tune and vocals come across as soft and fluffy. The lyrics aren't. They speak about boy soldiers with Kalashnikovs, about tyranny, daughters stolen from their homes, feeling insignificant, and asking when the kingdom will come. Here's Under the Starlight. <laughs>
you've gone overseas and you've been directly involved with this, I wonder what it's like when you're meeting with the victims of human trafficking. Has it ever made you doubt God's will? Well, when I'm sitting in a brothel or a dance club with a child that's for sale for sex, it doesn't seem real. It seems like a movie, even though I've researched all this. I know it exists. I know there's 40 million people enslaved today. But then when I walk out of that brothel and I look and there's tons of dance clubs and brothels like that on that street and in that region and and that number hits me, 40 million, it's hard to get your mind around that number. But when you see the impact it has on one child or one girl from Uganda that's being sold in the streets of Southeast Asia by a drug dealer, separated from her family, and you get in a conversation with a sweet girl from Asia and she's part of a mass migration of the country's daughters from the hillside, from the farmland down into the major cities. And she's wore out. She's tired. She has to dance with men that are three times her age and three times her weight. Like when all that starts to hit you and sink in, then I don't have any response other than the response my daughter had when I watched that video on Joseph Coney, the warlord that was kidnapping eight-year-old boys and forced them to fight. Right, I remember that. And my daughter's response when she's watching that with me was, Dad, why doesn't God protect those boys? And I, I have that similar feeling because the sheer scale of this operation, these mafias, these crime syndicates, it's, it's overwhelming to see how evil and darkness is prospering.
and talk about what your role is in those countries when you're there. So the Exodus Road exists to find and free slaves. And the emphasis of the organization is on child sex trafficking. So we're going into commercial sex areas. There's a market for sex tourism in certain major cities that we have a large presence in. We're going into the countryside as well, into brothels out in the countryside or dance clubs or karaoke clubs. It looks different in different regions, but we're going in to use covert surveillance gear to find evidence of sex trafficking. And sex trafficking is defined as when someone sells someone else for sex and there's fraud, force, or coercion involved, or if somebody's a minor. Uh, so we're going to find evidence of that, actual evidence that we then use to partner with local authorities to go back in on sting operations and make raids that uh, lead to the freedom of these girls and also that will lead to the arrests and the dismantling of these crime syndicates that are responsible for making money off the backs of our daughters and our sons. Justice in the hands of the ordinary Frustrate the plans of the dignitary If we didn't know, then we wouldn't have to care, would we? But I saw it with my own eyes over there I breathe the heavy air on the New York streets Underneath the stars in the far east I caught her eye looking back at me And tonight I can hear her sing
The Wings of the Dawn, another song from Remedy Drive's 2014 release, Commodity. On tonight's episode, David and I have only touched a bit on the story of Remedy Drive's new album, The North Star. When The Antidote comes back next week, you're going to hear a whole lot more. One major point in our discussion is whether it's the music, the message, or our hands that will make the greatest impact. David also gets into how justice can come from the hands of the ordinary. I have to say that I really admire what David is doing. I don't see myself as being able to take on the kind of role that he has with the Exodus Road. And the guy does it without hesitating. That really is being God's hands and feet. But it's also dangerous. That comes up on the last part of tonight's talk with David. The good part is that there is a light at the end of the tunnel as you'll hear on When a Soul Set Free, our final song from Remedy Drive. See you next week for part two. Have a good one. You know, what you're doing in Latin America and Southeast Asia, it's a great thing, but the reality is that it's dangerous. How are you able to do this? Like, David Zock has no fear? No, I'm afraid. I'm afraid. And I'm afraid of what it's doing to my soul. I'm afraid of losing hope and losing faith my hope isn't the same hope that was all shiny on on the daylight album in 2008 it's a guarded hope and i think it's a more informed hope and i'm also scared of of mobsters you know i I don't uh, i don't like hanging out with these guys i don't like the way we travel i don't like the fact that facial recognition software exists but everybody i've looked up to in history Everybody that I have told my kids about has moved forward in the face of fear. And I just want to join that group of people. I want to belong to that group of people that decided to live selflessly when it was costly to them and when it was potentially costly to them. Because this is going to be my life's work and it could cost me my life, but this is my life. This is what I have to offer. These are my songs. This is what I have to offer. I'm going to offer this to this movement of justice. From the streets of gold Comes a sweet refrain When one heart is turned When one soul is saved There is a song that brightens the day Angels singing along to keep the darkness at bay Breaks down the walls, opens the gates It rings in the halls and in the hearts of the saints Listen when a soul set free You can hear the angels
Set free. 